First Peter chapter four, twelve through nineteen. And actually, this has probably been one of the most, the more, the toughest sermons for me to prepare, um, because we're dealing specifically with passages on suffering, and not just suffering, but suffering for the gospel. That people are being persecuted in Peter's day, who he's writing to, for being Christians. For, for being followers of Christ. And this is the, one of the toughest messages for us to preach, uh, in particular in America, because we don't experience what they are experiencing. They are f- experiencing daily slander and persecution for being a Christian. Um, some countries around the world face this now, and it's more of a reality there than here. Some countries have to gather underground or in secret in certain countries because uh, if their government find out, they would be arrested, put in prison, and possibly executed. It's illegal for them to gather as Christians. We have uh, a sister church uh, in Nepal, a Benai church. Uh, it's a church in Nepal where uh, you're not allowed to share the gospel. The government has, has given, made a law where it's illegal to share the gospel, in particular if you're a foreigner. So if we sent people over... Uh, to serve Benai Church, and we were caught proclaiming the gospel, uh, we'd be immediately thrown into prison and persecuted greatly there. Many in the Islamic and Hindu uh, countries, um, if a family member comes to know Jesus, uh, they are banished immediately from their family, at least sometimes also um, receiving physical and obviously financial harm happens as well. But this kind of persecution doesn't happen in America all too often. I mean, our country was founded on freedom of religion. It's one of the first um, amendments in our Constitution. It is the first amendment in our Constitution. Uh, we've been founded on Judeo-Christian ethics. The, the majority of the time our country has been around the last couple hundred years is, has been led by Christians. So we don't face this persecution. But yet, as I look on the horizon of Christianity in America, I can see the storm starting to, um, the clouds beginning to form and gather. Can't you? Uh, sometimes we'll feel a couple drops of persecution um, as followers of Jesus and being a Christian. Early on in the crossing, in the, in the first year that we were, were planted, we were meeting in an apartment complex and we had an individual um, come and, uh, or, or threaten our Sunday gathering. That He said he was going to come and commit physical violence against us if we met that Sunday. That he was going to come and shoot us up, literally. Now, we didn't take the guy, uh, we didn't think the guy was serious, yet we did take him seriously. We didn't have church that Sunday. So every now and then, we will feel some kind of persecution for following Jesus. But by and large, we don't feel the persecution that the people that Peter was writing to in First Peter were feeling in the Roman Empire back in the day. But uh, yet, yeah, um, we can still look to Pastor Pete this morning and let him prepare us to walk through this kind of suffering. So when it does happen, we're not surprised. When it does happen to us, that we're not surprised, especially if it might happen uh, tomorrow to us. Or I think these words of wisdom can help us prepare for the storm that might be coming in the future. So, so let's, give, um, let's give attention to Pastor Pete's wisdom for us this morning. First we see, don't be surprised, instead rejoice in verses 12 through 13. Don't be surprised, instead rejoice, verses 12 through 13. Look at that first word in verse 12, beloved. 
but love. Just, just stop right there. Suffering is an intense and touchy subject to talk about, especially with people who are walking through suffering at that time. It can be difficult engaging someone with suffering and counseling them and how to love them. And Peter knows this. And he's just being a loving pastor and shepherd right now. And he, he begins and leans on their relationship with him. He wants them to know that they are loved. And not only that they are loved, but they are loved by him. He understands the circumstances in which they find themselves. He understands the difficulty of following Christ in a, in a culture where you're the minority and people are coming against and persecuting you. He understands this. And so he wants to start out with words of love before he gets into how we are to proceed and how they are to proceed in life under this persecution. So he says, Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And here's the command that Peter wants us to follow. He says, do not be surprised. Do do not be caught off guard. Um, Do not think it's strange when this, this persecution comes against you. He says, don't be surprised because it's coming against you for a purpose and for a reason. Notice he uses that word fiery trial. I think what Peter wants us to do is he wants us to, to go back in the beginning of his letter in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. He wants to have us that, that reminder of being purified like gold by the fire. That, that, we, that we understand that this, this trial that we are going through is for a purpose. It's for a purpose. And that purpose, he tells us, it's to test our faith. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. So that's the purpose of this fiery trial that they are going through and that we are going through, that we are being persecuted as we will see for being followers of Jesus. And again, the purpose is to test your faith and make sure your faith is genuine. There's a story I heard when I was, uh, first came to know the Lord about 30 years ago um, that always stood out to me. It's always been something that's kind of encouraged me during times, the, 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 the few times that I've been persecuted like this, to test to see that I have genuine faith. And I think it's just preparing me maybe for the future when this day, if it ever comes, comes. It's just preparing me how to respond. It goes like this. It, it happened in a closed country, again, a place where it was illegal to be a Christian. They had to meet secret and underground. And one Sunday, the people were meeting in the, the warehouse privately, the gathering was in session, uh, in session, then all of a sudden they heard a knock on the door. Someone went, opened up the door, and there were two soldiers with rifles. And the soldiers came in, and they walked in, and one soldier said this. They said, I'll give you one chance to renounce your faith by leaving now and never come back again, or else. The soldiers watched as the majority of the people just filed out of that building one by one. As the last person left uh, that was going to leave, others were still there, they, they, they shut the door, they locked it, and then they turned around, and there was the pastor and his family and a handful of others that stayed. The pastor stepped up and, and says, go ahead and shoot us, we will not deny our Lord. He loved us to the point of dying on the cross to save us, therefore we are ready to give our lives for him. At that point, the soldiers laid down their rifles And they said, we are believers too. We just wanted to worship with those who truly believe, who have genuine faith. See, this is the test of suffering. And the purpose of this test of suffering is to prove, to see if you have genuine faith. Therefore, Peter says, don't be surprised when suffering comes upon you for following Jesus. But he says, and look in verse 13, he says, but in fact, rejoice. 
Do not be surprised, but rejoice. And you're like, rejoice, Peter, really? You're calling us to celebrate in suffering? You want us to celebrate pain and agony, the suffering that we are feeling? Now, we've covered this multiple times in the Scripture, and no one is commanding you. Peter's not commanding the readers of his letter and not commanding me and you to enjoy the pain of suffering. That would make us a masochist. That's not what he's talking to. But he gives us the reason why we are to rejoice and celebrate that we are being persecuted. Look, it says, but rejoice insofar... As you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice presently in their time of suffering and be glad when his glory is revealed, future. So he, he tells us why we are to rejoice. There's a, there's a component where we're to rejoice now as we're going through suffering. And the reason why is because as we look forward and through the suffering that we see now, as we look forward, we know that when he is revealed, Jesus is revealed in the future, there will be a reward. You see what Peter is doing? He's already said this a couple times in 1 Peter, but again, he's reminding us of what Jesus taught him on the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5. And it so marked Peter that, that, that Jesus was preparing Peter to suffer in the future. Now Peter is just, is just passing that on to us. In Matthew 5, 11, it says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Why? On my account, presently, right now. And verse 12 says in Matthew 5, 11, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward, future, is given in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus pronounces a blessing on those who identify and associated with being persecuted because of him. And again, this is a unique suffering that only Christians receive. And he's pointing out that enduring suffering now leads to a future happiness and blessing. It leads to a future happiness and blessing. All right, let me ask you a question. As a follower of Jesus, do you expect better treatment from the world than what Jesus experienced from the world? Do you expect better treatment from this world than what Jesus received from this world? And of course, I think all of us would immediately say, well, of course not. Of course we should expect persecution for following Jesus. But, but really, do we in America? I think we've been so conditioned because Christianity has flourished in America that we do see suffering as sometimes unfair and unloving. That when suffering does come upon us, we are persecuted for our faith those, those times. We, we tend to question the Lord. Oh, why, Lord? Why are you letting this happen to me? I think if we're all honest in here. We, we do maybe tend to be treated a little bit different because we live in America and even better than Jesus. But that's not what Jesus and Peter says. Jesus says, expect suffering. Do not be surprised when you suffer. The world hated Jesus. The world is going to hate you. So rejoice because something is happening. Jesus is conforming you as a genuine believer. And he's helping us produce faith and holiness in our lives. Uh, Jesus and Peter said that we can rejoice now in our present suffering because we know that when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a great reward. His glory is going to be revealed in the future for us in heaven, a future blessing. And so this should fuel our faith now in our present circumstances if we're suffering now for Jesus. It should fuel us and help us get through it knowing that there is something waiting for us in the future. C.S. Lewis was asked the question, why do the righteous suffer? Why, why do Christians suffer? And he said this, why not? Why not? They're the only ones who can take it. 
Christians are the only ones who can take it. They will do it differently than someone who doesn't have that hope. What hope? The hope of heaven. The hope of being forgiven. The hope of glory. See, we can take it because we have that hope. We can rejoice and bear up under suffering now because we are know that what is that we are to have a living hope and a future inheritance that is waiting for us. So again, we are to rejoice. Do not be surprised, but rejoice because we have a future hope and glory waiting for us. Secondly, do not be surprised, instead be happy. Do not be surprised, but instead be happy in verses 14 and 15. This is what Peter says, if you are insulted in the name of Christ, then you are blessed. Here we see one of three if-then statements. If this is true, then this is true. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, then you are blessed, or then you will be happy. And so when you and I are insulted, when we're slandered, when we're made fun of, when we're the, you know, the butt of the joke at the party um, because we are followers of Christ, Peter says it's going to make us happier. And we're like, ah, I don't know, Peter. I don't know if I agree with that. But again, this is one of those statements, these upside-down kingdom statements, these upside-down kingdom principles that we understand as Christians, that Stuff, statements like, the, the, the last shall be first. Statements like, if you want to be grace, then you must be the servant of all. Uh, these, these are, are principles that seem and feel counterintuitive to us. And here's another one. Peter points out, and this is what he's saying. The more we suffer for Jesus and his kingdom, the more we will be blessed. The happier we will be. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, then you are blessed. This is what he's saying. And this is one of those upside-down kingdom principles that that we get, but we, we, we don't get. And we see it's all over the New Testament. In Acts 5.41 says this, Then they, the disciples, left the presence of the council after being arrested and, and, and um, um, punished a little bit. And it says the, the, the presence of the council, rejoicing that were, they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Romans 5.3, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because the love of God has been shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10.34, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your own property since you knew that it had been a better possession and abiding one. So we see this upside down. The more we suffer, the happier we are, and the more rejoicing we should be. This upside-down kingdom brings blessing and happiness. And again, notice why they rejoiced, why they were happy. They, one, because they were associated with Jesus. That's number one. Two, they could see that something was being produced in their life. Produced endurance, character, hope. The love was shed abroad. And three, they saw that there was an inheritance waiting for them. Paul gives us another reason of why we are blessed or to be happy. Look at it. It says, if you are insulted in the name of Christ, you are blessed because, this is why we are blessed, because the Spirit of glory, the Holy Spirit of God rests upon you. And this is an incredible thought. What a thought this is, that the very Spirit of glory and God rests upon you and me. The very Holy Spirit that rested and directed Jesus through his suffering, through his trials, is the same Holy Spirit that directs you and me. The very Holy Spirit that was prophesied in Isaiah 11 too, that says the Spirit of the, of the Lord shall rest on him. Well, who's the him that he rests on? It's on Jesus is again the one who rests on you now. Here's another question for you. Who, who would you rather have beside you, or walking through suffering 
Jesus or the Holy Spirit? Who would you rather have walk through suffering with you, Jesus or the Holy Spirit? Now, that's an impossible answer because it would be, be like saying, who do you want me to, to guide and direct your life through suffering? Uh, do you want God or do you want God, right? I mean, so it's like, it's a no-win. Or it's like, you know, um, uh, what's the most important part of breathing? Breathing in or breathing out, right? So there's no, there's no right answer there. It's both. But let me just point this out, that it was the role of the Holy Spirit to lead, guide, and direct Jesus in his humanity as he was in the wilderness and as he lived his life and proclaimed the gospel and as he ultimately went to the cross. The Holy Spirit was leading and guiding and directing and empowering Jesus. That was the Holy Spirit's role in the Trinity. And now that has been transferred to us. He's been given to us. Everyone that names the name of Christ has the Holy Spirit resting upon their soul and leading, guiding, and directing us and giving us the ability to walk through suffering just as he did with Jesus. That is an incredible, an incredible thought to wrap our minds around. And this is why Jesus says in John, he says, it's to your advantage that I go away so I can send the Spirit of God who will come and lead and guide and direct you through life. And throughout Scripture, you and I are called and commanded to, to walk in the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. And yet, it kind of seems foreign to us in our, in our daily lives, doesn't it? I think, again, we can be honest. It's like, man, we struggle with what does that look like? How are we led and guided and directed as Jesus was by the Holy Spirit that rests upon us? One said this, uh, Very often, our modern self-reliant sensibilities cut out uh, the Spirit right out of everyday decision-making. Rarely do we request or expect the Spirit's direction in our lives. He goes on to say, All too often we eliminate the Holy Spirit from our communion with God, and we live as functional bitrarians, communion with the Father and the Son, but not Trinitarians. It's like, man, I, I resonate with that. I get that. I understand that there's a struggle. Like, what does it mean to be led and guided by the Spirit? And that's why this verse is so important to us to understand because if we didn't have the Holy Spirit, then we couldn't walk through suffering like this. We'd have no hope. We'd be powerless in walking through sufferings. I mean, think about all the, martyr, all the martyrs who conquered suffering with courage. When they were faced to be burned at the stake or beaten to death or even crucified upside down like Peter, what gave them the courage to walk through that? What gave him the courage was that the Holy Spirit was rested on him and leading and guiding and directing him. And what's even more mind-boggling to me is as people, as Christians, saw you know, Peter getting crucified upside down, that someone would actually pick up the baton and says, okay, I'm going to take it up, and now I'm going to go proclaim Jesus. What gives that person the courage to go and do that? The only, thing that, the only explanation is that they are controlled and led and guided by the Spirit. So therefore... When suffering comes to you and me as, as Christians and following Jesus, instead of getting frustrated, instead of going down the, the woe is me path, my life is so terrible, pause and ask the Holy Spirit what he might be doing in your life. What is he trying to do in your life? What does he want to produce in your life? What impurities is he wiping out of your life to make your faith even more pure than gold? The Holy Spirit rests upon you. And because of this, Peter says you're blessed. You're blessed because the Holy Spirit rests upon you. Therefore, don't live your life like he does it. Verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or even as a meddler. Now, 
That's an interesting list. I, I look at that list, and, and which one is not like the other, right? I mean, look at that list. You got a murderer, you got a thief, you got an evildoer, then you got a, a meddler. What the heck's a meddler, right? I didn't know what a meddler was, so I had to look up what a meddler was. And what a meddler is is a busybody. It's a busybody. It's someone who sticks their nose where it doesn't belong. It's the person who, who inserts their agenda into your life, even though you didn't ask them to. One defines it like this. A meddler is one who gets involved in someone's life without an invitation. I love that. I love that. And what is Peter saying here? He's saying this. He says, don't think you suffer it for Jesus' name when you are the one sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. And when you do that, people respond and look at you and call you an idiot or tell you to get out of here. Uh, don't mix up suffering for the glory of God and suffering because you have a big nose and you stick it in other people's business. In other words, what Peter is saying, don't cause your own suffering, right? Now, as we look at the crossing, I, I don't think we have any murderers in the crossing. Uh, maybe we probably have a couple thieves or e- evildoers, maybe, but, but all of us have been known to be meddlers, all of us can relate to, to, to maybe giving our opinions where they weren't asked for and meddling in each other's business, especially with our non-Christian friends. And what, what Peter's saying here is don't be a meddling Christian. Don't be that guy. So don't be surprised, but be happy. Uh, be blessed and don't be a meddler or cause your own suffering, Peter is saying. Thirdly, don't be surprised. Instead, praise him. Don't be surprised. Instead, praise him. Verses 16 through 19. Verse 16 says, Yet, if, here's the second if-then statement, if anyone suffers as a Christian, then let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Let him praise God. You see, one of the primary ways we identify ourselves today is we identify ourselves as, as Christians. So as we look at this word, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, that's actually a pretty unique word. And Peter writing that to the believers, it's, it's, he's, he's playing on something that's happening to them. Did you know that the early church didn't usually call themselves Christian? In fact, it's only used three times in the New Testament, twice in Acts, in the book of Acts, and then once here. And uh, usually when they identify themselves as Christians, uh, they were known as the way or believers. And you see that as you, as you read throughout the scriptures in the New Testament. And the reason why is, one of the main reasons why they didn't call themselves Christians is because Christians was a term given to them by the Romans and the Greeks. It was a derogatory term. It was a term of disrespect. It was a negative nickname given to them because they weren't acting like everyone else in the Roman society. Um, They wouldn't worship the emperors or wouldn't say things like, Caesar is Lord. They would say like Jesus is Jesus Christ is Lord, and that He raised from the dead. And people would look at you guys like, "Man, you guys are weird. You guys are crazy," you know. And we've talked about the other uh, how the other Roman Empire uh, characterized Christians, cannibals, uh, you know, and some other things. So this was a disrespectful term. Being a Christian was a disrespectful term. It was a term that single Christians out from the rest of society. And all Christian means means follower of Jesus. And so this is why it's kind of interesting that Peter uses the word here. Yeah, if anyone suffers as a Christian, then let him not be ashamed. And what Peter here is doing with them not be ashamed is he's reaching back into his personal history. Because think about it. If anyone in the Bible knows about shame and being ashamed, it's Peter. It's Peter. He doesn't want anyone to feel the shame that he experienced when he denied Jesus three times. And so 
He doesn't focus on the, the negative, let him not be ashamed, but then he turns it quickly to the positive, but let him glorify God, let him praise the name. Peter wants us to focus on the positive. He wants us to focus on praise and glory even when we suffer and are ridiculed for being a Christian. In verse 17, it says this, and this is why. For it is time for a judgment to begin at the household of God, and if, there's the third if then, so if it begins with us, then what will be the outcome of those who do not believe, obey the gospel? And if the, righteousness, if, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So, so why? Why are we to rejoice? Why are we to praise God and not be ashamed? Because we're saved. Because we're saved. Because we have been forgiven. The judgment that begins with the household of God. We know, we understand according to Scripture, that everyone who has ever lived will come before the judgment throne seat of God. And a judgment, a verdict will be given over everyone's life. And we know because of Jesus, that judgment will come down as not guilty. As forgiven. Why? Because of 1 Peter 1.3. Because we've been born again by the mercies of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of 1 Peter 1.18. That we have been ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus. That's why. That's why we can rejoice. Because we are saved. The verdict is not guilty. We don't get punishment. We get rewards. We get glory. We get a, glor- a glorious inheritance. And we get no condemnation. That's why we can rejoice. That's why we're not ashamed. And again, look at verse, verse 18. Peter says, keep your eye on the prize because, again, walking through life, in particular some parts of the world now, and especially through those who Peter was writing, it was tough. It was tough going, being a Christian, because you're constantly getting persecuted. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, that word scarcely doesn't mean they just barely get in. Scarcely means hard or difficult. And what Peter is saying is like we rejoice even though the road to salvation for the Christian can be difficult because of the persecution that we, we feel. Because of suffering that sometimes comes against us as Christians, as followers of Jesus. That's what that verse means. Because it's hard. It's difficult. But again, we rejoice and praise the Lord because we understand one day the reality of living in the Genesis 3 world with sin and death and suffering and persecution will be no more. When Jesus comes back as the conquering king, when we receive that judgment, that verdict, not guilty, when we receive the rewards of, 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 of our, our faith in Christ and now a child of the king and we get to enter into heaven, suffering will be gone. And we will get to rejoice with Jesus and all the others who, by faith, believed in him. This is why we rejoice, because living in a Genesis 3 world is over. Now we get Jesus, heaven, and a life of no more sin, sickness, pain, and suffering. But this is a rhetorical question, because we see also that that's for us. That's for those that have repented, in Christ, uh, repented of our sin and trusted in Christ, but there's another group that they're talking about. For the time of judgment to begin at the household of God, it begins with Christians, it begins with the church, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? Or, or what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Here's the sobering verdict for the one who doesn't repent, of the person that, that, that hears the gospel that rejects Jesus and doesn't build their lives on the cornerstone of Christ. Their judgment is one of condemnation. 
It's one of punishment. That is their outcome. And this is a sobering outcome. So one thing this verse should do is, yes, we should not be surprised that we're persecuted and we shouldn't be ashamed, but we should praise and glorify God because we receive his glory. We should take that and motivate us because we understand that others don't get that prize or won't receive that unless they repent of their sin and trust in Christ. That should propel us to go out and share the gospel to our neighbors, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our family members that don't know Jesus because we understand the sobering verdict of what it means to be guilty. And so let us, not only in our time that we praise him, but also let that propel us understanding what the verdict is of those who don't know Christ and what they will receive. So let that propel us to evangelism. Peter sums up in verse 19, he just gives us the application. We've talked about a little bit of application throughout this, but Peter gives us our own application of what we are to do today and tomorrow and the rest of our lives. We, we, how we are to apply these principles in verse 19 of chapter 4. It says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, again, you should underline that, who suffer according to God's will. Don't be surprised by suffering in your life. It's, it's a part of God's plan for your life to, to grow you, to mature you, to make you more like Jesus. God's will to entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There's, there's two commands here that we are called to do, two practical applications. One, entrust or commit our souls to Jesus, the faithful creator, and also to do good while we're in the midst of suffering. So underline and circle and headlight that word entrust or commit. It's the same word that, that Jesus used in Luke 23 when he was hanging on the cross right before he breathed his last. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. The word entrust, commit, was often used back then as depositing one's money or other valuables in for safekeeping. Uh, kind of like depositing it into a bank. It was, and it's more than just a one-time deposit, but it's ongoing. We are constantly to keep on entrusting our souls to the faithful creator. We are to keep on committing our, our souls to the Lord Jesus. Therefore, when you and I are walking through difficult times, the best thing that we can do, first and foremost, is entrust our souls, our lives, to the care of the faithful creator who fulfills his promises to all his people. He's been doing that since day one, and he will continue to do it now. Again, let's continue to keep depositing and trusting our faith to the faithful one, the creator of this universe. Secondly, we're called to do good. We're called to do good while suffering for Jesus. As people are persecuting us, whether that's now or whether that's future, because they're, they're persecuting us because we're following Jesus, just because we are Christians, we are called to not retaliate, but we're called to do good. To do good. Uh, this is a, a mark that separates Christians from all others in the world, that we do good to those who persecute us. Uh, the example... Modern day example we have, I think of just, I think of Samaritan's Purse, who uh, during this time of COVID-19, they set up a, a kind of a temporary hospital up in New York City. Many of us might have read of this account. They just wanted to come in and serve the people. And, and, and again, the hospitals might have been overwhelmed there. They're just given another opportunity for, for, for doctors and nurses to come in to help uh, alleviate the overcrowding at the hospitals, to, to use their gifts to be a place to help people um, if they caught the sickness or disease. And they set this into But there was one group in particular that had a problem with Samaritan's Purse setting her up at this temporary hospital. It's the LBTQ group. 
um, and they criticize Samaritan's Purse and this hospital as being um, uh, ridiculed for their, uh, their unloving stance on, 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 on their view on homosexuality. They slandered them. Uh, they said that, that though those people at Samaritan Purse were discriminating them. They weren't, they weren't helping those that, may, that were of same sex. And so um, what did the Samaritan's Purse do? Did they shut down the hospital? Did they take their ball and go home? No, they kept doing good. They kept serving anyone who walked through their doors, regardless of their sexual orientation, regardless of their ethnicity. No, they welcomed anyone who came in and needed help. They opened their doors. They served. They did good, even in the midst of being persecuted for being a Christian. You see, we as Christians should be known as those who do good. That's one of the, that's one of the characteristics, how people should look at us, is that we are the people that do good, whether things are going well or whether things are going bad. And even, and in particular, in the midst of persecution, we should still be known as ones who do good. The one thing I can't wait to hear is I can't wait to hear of all the different stories of the church universal throughout this world of how we serve this world during COVID-19, how we did good, even in the midst of persecution such as the Samaritan's Purse Temporary Hospital from other groups that might not agree with our stance, yet as they're casting insults, we're still doing good and serving the people. So, how do we do that? I think one, one, one quick way we can do it, as I was thinking, is, is that we can be praying for those who persecute you. Back to the guy that, 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 that threatened to shoot up the crossing church early on. Um, I haven't done this perfectly, but there have been many times throughout the, the t- of our 10-year history where that guy has popped up in my mind, and I've prayed for him. I, I've prayed that the Lord would save his soul. Why? Because, again, I understand what the verdict is over his life right now unless he repents and believes uh, is condemnation and his punishment. And it's, it's righteous. It's just. So I'm praying for a soul that you can also pray for those souls of the people that are around you that are persecuting you. So that's one simple way that we can apply this principle. The other way is we just continue to do good in all the ways that, that it might be. Uh, to do good to those around us, even this, in this season of persecution. So these are wise words for us from Peter this morning. Peter gives us wisdom as a great shepherd, as a wise shepherd for us to follow this morning. If we, we suffer now for being followers of Christ, or if it's preparing for us, or if it's preparing us for a future, for a future persecution. Don't be surprised, instead rejoice, Peter says. Don't be surprised, instead be happy. Don't be surprised, instead glorify and praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for these wise words. And Lord, may we apply these wise words. And may we not be surprised, even though we live in America, and, 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 and sometimes we, we do feel we are being persecuted for following Jesus. And Lord, when that happens, again, let us go to you. Let us ask the Spirit of what are you trying to teach us? And then in the midst of that persecution, let us do good to those who are persecuting us. Lord, let us follow the example of Peter and many that have gone before us, um, following you for your glory and for their joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.